0: All right, well, my name is Ben Bowman. I am not the pastor of this church, uh, but somehow I keep having to be up here. So, uh, uh, obviously, with uh, the situation with Josh, he he texted me late last night and says, be ready to go. I was like, all right. And then he uh, texted me early, or late, late, last night, early, early in the morning, and said, looks like we're going to be okay. And then I got a really long text saying, you're on. So... um, (laughs) This is as good as that can be. So, what I want you to do is uh, I want you to turn to your Bibles to uh, one Samuel chapter sixteen. Um, we're gonna get there in a minute. I just want to give you some time to get there. And while you turn into one Samuel sixteen, I want to talk about. Um, we're gonna talk about the heart. We're gonna talk about impurities of the heart. But first, I want to I want to talk about your hands. Talk about your hands. Um, working with your hands one of the coolest things to me about jesus is that he built things like he was a carpenter and the kind of in the the way that we think of carpentry today is is kind of like craftsmanship and making things but the kind of carpentry he was doing was more of uh well he was a construction worker Uh, he was putting things together and building things and uh making making things and um and I'm sure that he was, had some craftsmanship with it as well, but, but he was building things. And there's something about uh, professions in which you have to create something and make something that shows you something, or shows others something about you. So, for example, uh, um, Brandon's a, a, a chef, right? Uh, uh, Brandon's a chef, and... And actually, I got to work with Brandon last night at his restaurant. Uh, I got a message saying he needed uh, someone to come in and uh, clean some dishes. So <laughs> I, I, went, I went and did that. And uh, I brought my chef coat, hoping they would put me on the line, but they didn't. They're like, no, get over there. And uh, it was great. And just to see some of the things that they're doing and some of the things that he's making at his restaurant are like, really impressive. And you could tell like a lot of care went into it. I don't know if you've ever had a meal somewhere where you could tell that not only the presentation, but the preparation and everything about it was just exceptional. And not only do you appreciate it, but it kind of lets you know something about the people behind who made it. Um, it It's kind of like a little representation, a little snapshot of the character of the person. And you know the difference between really good furniture and stuff made by, well, made by me. uh, (laughs) Or stuff that's like balsal wood, Real particle board, really brittle, and just kind of, it's not really good, and it seems to be kind of thrown together and not, you know, just barely holds together. And then, the, and then have a really nice penis piece of furniture that you don't want to move at all because it's way too heavy. So <laughs> it's actual wood. So there's something about the relationship between what you do and that's why I really love that Jesus built things and did things with his hands because it communicated something about who he was and and you and you know somebody is good at it by the work that they do. I mean, you know a good cook by the food they serve. You know a a, a good um uh hairstylist by the the hair that she does. You know, you you know you know something is good based upon what the person produces. And it tells you something about them. It usually tells you that, that they're, they're, they care about what they're doing. And, uh, and my mom was actually telling me on, on the way over here about uh, this show called like Bar Rescue. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it, I, I've seen some episodes. I didn't see this episode, but she, she just said that this guy... Uh, his place was obviously just going down the drain. It was just getting terrible and terrible and terrible. And everybody's fighting, and there's all this drama, and there's all this stress. And, and then the, this guy comes along and says, okay, we've got to fix all these problems. But then they get to the real problem. The real problem is that the guy who's the owner, he has a broken heart. Like, that's the real problem, is that he doesn't know how to deal with his problems. He doesn't know how to deal with the stress. He doesn't know how to deal with all this hurt and anger in his life. And there's a problem of his heart. And it causes all these other problems. Like all these other problems are rooted to this person's heart is not right. And I'm willing to bet that any problem you're facing in your life surrounding you might have something to do with your heart not being right. I think... All of my or most of my relationship issues have stemmed from when my heart wasn't right about something. And it's very difficult to see. I mean, we don't really look, we don't really examine our hearts. We don't really look at it and go, why do I think that and why do I I feel that? This is the one area of Christianity that I think prayer is so important for. And because I thought, I was thinking the other day about this, is has prayer, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to don't think this is like a cynical thought or anything or any kind of like negative thought. It wasn't a negative thought. I was trying to quantify what has prayer done for me, really? What has it really actually done in my life? What has it really changed? Not just situationally. I mean in me, what does it change? And then just time after time, uh, conversation after conversation, argument after argument, in my mind started to come up of uh, times when I was so tempted to, to go along with whatever was wrong in my heart and I stopped and I prayed and I stopped and I talked to God and immediately my heart was changed. I mean immediately. Like, and it didn't come from me because I didn't want to act nice. I didn't want to be kind. I didn't want to forgive. I didn't want to love. I was playing in a a band, and we were playing at an outdoor worship concert in front of a church. It was an outdoor venue. It was on the beach, a church on the beach, and we were out there playing, and there was a big crowd, and my band was done playing, and another band got up to, to play, and they're playing now, and people are kind of coming by and moving along, and there's a big crowd, and this kid on this bike, Actually, it was, it was two, two kids on these bikes. They were probably 18, 19. I say kid now because I'm old. So <laughs> they're riding along on these bikes and they go, Jesus sucks! And some other horrific things that I can't uh, say in church, I guess. But I can think, I guess. I don't know. I can remember them, but I can't say them. Really bad, really negative, really offensive. Like stuff that if you heard, you'd go and make and and me being me I got mad really mad and my thought was I'm going to pick up the biggest thing near me and I'm going to beat them to death for Jesus like that was my that was my immediate thought so I turn around to go confront these guys and I'm not too. I'm maybe 21, 20, 21 at the time. I turn around, I start walking, and I see their faces, and immediately God just—it's not a thought. It wasn't a. It wasn't a. It wasn't a word. It wasn't. It wasn't anything. It was just God changed my heart like that, just instantly, and my approach was completely different. And I felt my heart soften to them, and I felt compassion for them. I mean, like compassion flooded my heart. I was so angry, and then all of a sudden I just had compassion. And I said, hey, guys, what's going on? And they were really confused while I was talking to them. <laughs> I said, you know, I hear what you're saying. Uh, what do you guys believe? Where are these questions coming from? I don't even, why am I, why am I talking to them? Oh, we don't believe in anything, man. Oh, okay. Well, would you be okay if I went to your I don't believe in anything uh, celebration and just started cursing at you and making fun of you. no that wouldn't be cool all right then we started talking we started talking about life where are you from what do you do what are your hopes what are your dreams who are you and then the strangest thing happened we ended up hanging out all night we took their bikes we loaded up them in our truck we took all of our instruments back to a house we had a worship concert all night and they sat I'll never forget it and they had a blast and they made friends cuz they wanted cuz there was something wrong with their heart and there was something wrong with my heart and in an instant God changed it so I want to read you what the most terrifying verse, I think, in the entire Bible is. We're going to get there. I I think It's the scariest thing. (laughs) It really is. And it has to do with the replacement of Saul as king. Because at the time of the the history of the Jewish people, Saul was the king. And he was not a good king because there was something wrong with his heart. Something seriously wrong. Uh, He had become an evil king. He started out kind of good, but things quickly descended from there. Reason being, number one, is he just wouldn't do what God said. Okay? Listen to this. Please, if you hear anything in this message, please hear this. When you don't do the thing that you hear God tell you to do, it's not good. (laughs) Like, when you, like, refuse it, it really messes your life up. Even in small ways that you think could not possibly have an impact, you cannot see the end of your obedience. You can't. You have no concept of where your obedience can take you. Let me back up real quick. There was a guy named Billy Sunday. Anybody ever heard of him? Okay, Great evangelist. Okay, He was doing crusades that led to Another guy getting saved that eventually led to Billy Graham getting saved, that led to like millions of people getting saved. Like, like the, the, the ripple effect, like you have no idea, just just doing the thing that God said to do, listening to that little game called a voice. It's like it comes from a deeper place. It comes from like this core of, of God just saying and changing you and saying, go. It's a nudge. It's, it's unexplainable. I can't I don't even have words for it. I've explained it before, and I was probably totally wrong, because I don't think that was it. I think it's something deeper. So anyway, Saul, Saul's been hearing God. Saul even has Samuel, who's kind of the mouthpiece of God. He's, he's the prophet that is, that is called by God to anoint who the king is. So Samuel uh, anoints Saul as king, and then Saul just isn't doing what God says. And it grieves Samuel to the point that his, he feels like his life is over. He, he he's just he's so grieved by this. He's so disappointed. And so God stops him and says, uh, "Stop crying. Get over it, okay? And here's what I want you to do." So we're going to read uh, Samuel. First Samuel, chapter starting in chapter sixteen, verse one. The Lord said to Samuel. How long will you mourn for Saul since I rejected him as king over Israel? So so God has said, he's not in anymore. Yeah, he's still the king, technically, but he does not have the blessing of king. You ever known somebody that had the title but didn't have your respect because of who they were? Right? You were saluting the uniform, not the man. You'd much rather salute the man. But... We've all known people. I've been that person. You know, leadership, positional leadership alone is the lowest form of leadership. Just having the position and the authority because that's your job is the lowest form of leadership. And some people never rise any higher than that. Saul certainly did not. And you can't rise higher than that if you're not, if you don't humble yourself and realize that you don't know anything. And that you need God way more than you ever thought you did. Okay. So you rejected him. Fill your horn with oil and on your way, I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Ooh, the foreshadowing begins. I've chosen one of his sons. Jesus is one of the sons of Jesse. You'll get it later. But I've chosen one of the sons to be king. All of scripture has an immediate purpose and it has an eternal purpose. It's so cool. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So He's like, you get the guy that I tell you to get. You anoint the one. You you make a claim. This will be the king. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. What does Samuel do? Exactly what God said to do. Up until this point, this is really interesting. I think it's really interesting this is put here. When they arrived, Samuel saw uh, Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord this guy's got to be it. So he sees this one son, he's like, this guy's got to be it. You ever think you got it figured out? You ever think like, this has got to be it, God. Isn't this what you said? He's like, no, not even close. But the Lord said to Samuel, here's what I think is the, the most terrifying verse in all the Bible. Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord, this is it. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay. Now, if you aren't scared by that, okay, here's what I mean by that. Because as I've been married for 10 years, and which is not a long time, But in 10 years, I know my wife pretty well. There's times where we finish each other's sentences. And I'm like, stop reading my mind. <laughs> you know, like, we actually have this, there's lyrics to a song. We think the same things at the same time. We just can't do anything about it. That's what we sing that to each other every now and then. When we, when we find ourselves finishing each other's sentences, and then we both start the song and it's like it's, we're in sync. We're, we know each other really well. She knows what I'm thinking a lot of times. It ain't much. (laughs) It's not that. I don't think about much. But as much as I know my wife, I I don't know her as well as she knows herself. Not even close. I'll never understand her experiences. I'll never understand life through her eyes. I'll never know what she's really feeling. Uh, Men who are not married, listen up. You don't need to understand your wife. You just need to love them. God never said and you shall understand your wife. He said he said he never said that cuz it's not possible. Amen. And not just cuz she's a woman. Amen. Not but but that doesn't help. That makes it harder. You you get a you get a group of guys together who don't know each other, just put them in a room, give them no context to why they're there, in 5 minutes they're all best friends. Is that the same with women? They will soon try to figure out why they're there and whose fault it is and what needs to be happening. The activity will start. Guys can just sit down. So, here it is. You don't don't know anybody as well as you know yourself and nobody knows you as well as you know yourself. But you don't even know yourself as well as God knows you. Like, you don't even really know because you don't see your future. Not only does God know who you are, he knows who you have the potential to be. He knows what lies beyond the next step. And not just the next step, the last step. He sees all of it. And he sees your past way clearer than you do. You cannot believe, go go look up how much you have forgotten in life. There's research about this. We don't remember anything. Like in comparison with our experiences and with who we are, we, know, we don't remember much of anything. Now that's not like an excuse. Honey, I thought you told me. You know, I didn't remember. Right? But it's, it's true though. We, have, we don't remember. You don't, do you remember your first day of school? Who remembers it? <laughs> do you remember your second day? I don't, remember any of, I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it. But if you think back of important milestone moments that you would think, I will never forget this. I don't remember the last diaper I changed of my kids. I should have thrown a party. <laughs> should have had a big celebration. don't remember it. The Lord looks at the heart. Okay, so, I want to take you to another verse. Go to Matthew, the book of Matthew. Go to chapter 5. And I, and I want to try to wrap this up here. I, I got, oddly enough, I have so much more, and we're not going to get to it all. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 29. I believe this is in the middle of the Beatitudes, or Jesus has just wrapped up the Beatitudes, the blessed are you. At the end of this, starting in verse 29. He says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay? Now, let's read the next part. And then I want to talk about this because I think I had this verse wrong. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to go into hell. Okay? Okay. That seems like really, really harsh. I don't know of anybody, I actually, um, I think I saw somebody that did this that actually took their eye out. That took this so, so literally. But they're like, okay. Well, let's take that to its conclusion because I think Jesus is actually saying something about the heart here. And that is this. If you were to remove every extremity that causes you to sin, what do you have left? What do you have? What are you at that point? If if the heart is the problem, the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who knows how wicked and how terrible it is? Only God. Then you gotta cut it out. Literally remove your heart. I don't see anybody getting in line to do that. Okay, so what does God mean? This is what this is so cool. This is what salvation is. It's a heart transplant. It's literally God saying, I'm removing that heart, I'm putting a new heart in. I'm cutting out your heart and I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you a new life. I'm giving you a new. Purpose. I'm giving you a a new standard. I'm giving you a new thing that your life is going to be built on and because what I build lasts and it's quality and it shows the character of who I am because what God does with with his hands is a reflection and a representation of the heart that he has. So you as as a human being are a direct reflection of the heart of God because who you are, who you are is who God created you to be and you're his craftsmanship. And then just like him, we're to take our hands and our, and our thoughts and our ideas and our, our life, our daily steps, and we're to consecrate ourselves and to sacrifice. I'm sure the cow that Samuel brought was not just any cow. It was his best. It was his best. What you do, what you produce is a direct reflection of what you actually are and who you actually are. That is what faith is. Faith is the manifestation. Your faith in God manifests itself in in what you do. What you actually do. And this is where we need to actually examine our hearts. Because you have to ask the question, well, what do I do? What do I really do? What comes out of me? What really comes out? What comes out with my words? What comes out with my actions? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, Jesus says to the Pharisees who, who had it all figured out on the outside. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. If I went to Brandon's restaurant last night and only cleaned the outside of all the dishes, I would have not lasted there very long. (laughs) They'd have been like, please go, just go. We'd rather not have you here faking it. We'd rather have you really doing it. Jesus was tired of them faking it. It's because they hadn't examined their hearts. They hadn't. And Jesus knew it. Ezekiel 36, 26, God makes this promise to Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Living, beating, pumping. If you don't have the heart of God, you're not alive. You're not alive. Salvation is a heart transplant. That's what salvation is. That's what you do when you say, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to do it. God, I, I don't even trust my own thoughts. I don't even trust who I am. We all need to come to that point of absolute and total, utter dependency upon God because we don't have anything figured out as well as we think we do, including your life. Okay, so, so well, how do you do that? Like, what do you do to do that? Well, Pray. Pray. And here's the thing about God. He's so merciful. He's so loving that just the action of approaching, just the action of just saying, okay, God, what do you have? What do you have for me instead? It's instant. It's instant. You may not know it. You may not feel it. You may not know any changes happening. Let me just tell you, if you start seeking God in that kind of way, Whenever you're up against it and when you're not, when things are good and when things are not, you will start to see real changes, not just in your own life, but in everybody's life around you. Things will start to get better. Anybody have any crazy makers in their life? (laughs) I cut all of them out of my life. I do. Except me. I'm the biggest crazy maker in my life. Theodore Roosevelt said that if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for your, most of your trouble in your life, you wouldn't be able to sit for a month. <laughs> it's true. Seek him. Let him change your heart. Go to him. Get the imp- that, that's the only way to get the impurities out. It's not just the impurities in your heart. Okay? You need a new one. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you for this time together and Lord, um, I ask that you would help us to do that, to actually do that. To actually change our hearts and, and to replace God, what sin in the world and, and our own selfishness has filled our hearts up with. It, it It's astounding to me, God, that, that we do that. That we allow that to happen. But it's 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 who we are and it's the way we're made so father i ask that you you change us make us who you want us to be help us to be like you help us to be jesus in our daily lives with everybody we meet and all god's people said amen, amen.